0: chapter 13 1 Samuel chapter 13 May 2007 Pastor and I and Tom went on a motorcycle trip and uh, Pastor talked about that several times and a great trip on the way back down from uh, Tennessee area we found a a road called the Natchez Trace. It was 444 miles, of beautiful winding road. And uh, it went from Nashville, Tennessee, to Natchez, Mississippi. And a lot of historical uh, places you could stop on the side of the road, read, watch, look, look at different things, and uh, Old Confederate Graveyard, a lot of beautiful lands, landscapes and, uh, and landmarks. But I remember... Uh, stopping at one place in particular and looking at the landscape of the area and then looking at a picture of the actual place the way it used to be. and As we say, things are different are not the same. I looked at the picture, I looked at the landscape, and I said, it's not the same. And the reason, of course, the landscape was different because over time there was erosion, erosion. What is erosion? Erosion is over time, wind, rain, the elements change, a landscape. How many of you have been to a beach that you went to as a kid and you went back years later and that place, that changed? Or you went to a site that you went to many years ago and you go back and it's changed because of erosion. What I want to talk about tonight is how does sin erode our relationship with God? How does sin erode our relationship with God? Let's pray, Father. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. Without you, there's no point, no point of speaking, because I have nothing to say on my own. But thank the night that we have your word, which is eternal, which will not return void. It's powerful, quick, and sharp. I pray, God, today that you would that you would use your word to convict our hearts of sin, areas where maybe. Uh, we're choosing to sin, that's eroding our relationship with you. Do a work that I cannot do. Speak to the hearts of people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to illustrate this point of how sin erodes our relationship with God, I could have looked at different people. You could have looked at the life of Solomon, and certainly Solomon had a great uh, life, but he didn't end so well. And you could look at the, uh, the life of Samson in the same way, uh, seemingly Uh, gifted, used of God in a great way, but unfortunately did not end so well. But I want to share uh, just an illustration here tonight of the life of Saul. Saul was a blessed man. He was a blessed man. If you read his life, uh, he was an honorable man. He was a humble man. He was a heroic man. But unfortunately, his life ended in horror. And because of the decisions that he made in his life, the decisions he made in his life equal the outcome of his life. What do we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 13? Well, the first, first uh, area in which our, our relationship can be eroded is the area of pride. And first, I want to look at Saul's pride in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Actually, I'm going to go back. I'm going to read, stay there in, verse, in chapter 13. I'm going to go back and read uh, some things about Saul's life. Saul's pride, in the first of all, that he would not wait on God. He would not wait on God. Chapter 10, verse 8, the Bible says Saul was given instruction by Samuel. Verse 8, And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to thee and offer burnt offerings to sacrifice, sacrifices, peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. He was given instruction by this man Samuel, great prophet of God. But instead, he did something else. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8, the Bible says, And he tarried seven days according to set time and Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings, and and offered a burnt offering. And it came to pass, verse 10, that that as soon as he had made an end of offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattered from me, and thou comest not within the days appointed, that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplications, O Lord. I love these words. I forced myself. (laughs) I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Whenever your kids say, I forced myself, it's never a good thing. Verse 13, And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which commanded thee. For for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded Saul went wait on God now probably everyone in this room there's been times in our lives where we didn't wait on God you know you you, you wanted to do something and you, you just got ahead of God you you, you, you had to you, you felt pressured you, you felt stressed and you you just you, you had to do it Saul was commanded by God's man Samuel not to not to make sacrifice and he did it his way. Oh, how often we hurt ourselves when we do things our way instead of God's way. So not only did he make make sacrifice when he shouldn't, disobeyed God. Secondly, if we see in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 24, he made a rash vow. He made a rash vow. The Bible says, in verse 24 of chapter 14, And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that may have been avenged of my enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. So what did he do? He commanded the people not to eat. Unfortunately, he had a son by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan did not hear the command. He didn't know it. He didn't know he, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't allowed to eat. Verse 27, the Bible says, But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore, he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were enlightened. Jonathan and his armor bear were killing the Philistines. They needed food, but Saul had made a a vow. If you eat, you'll die. Has anyone in this room ever made a vow or a rash statement you should have made? Amen, I've done it. Ever beat your chest, men said, hey, family, nobody's going to eat or drink until this house is cleaned up. And your wife gives you that look. I probably shouldn't have said that. (laughs) I probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, Verse 44, and Saul answered, God do so and more also, for thou shalt surely die. He was going to put to death his son because he made a rash vow sometimes we need just to humble ourselves and say you know what that was wrong i shouldn't have said that i shouldn't have said that the people rose up and said you know what king Saul? you're not going to kill him you're not going to do it and of course jonathan lived so we see his his uh desire to to uh, dis- his, uh his sad desire to disobey when he was given a command we see his rash vow and thirdly, because of his pride, we see his incomplete in, in, obedience. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord has sent me and anoint thee to be king over his people and over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. 1 Samuel 15, 2, Thus said the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. I laid wait for him in the way when he came from Egypt. Now go smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all they have. Spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. But Saul, said in the people, but Saul and the people, verse 9, look down, spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lamb and, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused that they destroyed utterly. What is obedience? Obedience is doing what you're told when you're told with the right attitude. Sometimes we try to logic it out, don't we? That doesn't make sense. Kill Agag. He's the king. He's worth something. Take the best of the sheep. Fatted calf. Man, we we ought to spare them. No. Obedience is doing what God says. When he wants us to do it, and with the right attitude. And oftentimes we think we can just skirt it and say, well, I'll halfway obey, or I'll kind of obey, or sometimes I'll obey. But God is looking for our surrender. He's looking for our submission. We just say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do when you want me to do it. Well, of course, Samuel responds. Chapter 15, verse 22. And Samuel said, hath the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice? I love these words. As in bang, the voice of the Lord? He asks his questions to convict his conscience. He says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams for rebellion. And that's that's what disobedience, the heart of disobedience is rebellion. It's saying to God, I know better than you, and I'll do it my way. That's rebellion. Rebellion as is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he, as God, the Lord, hath also rejected thee from being king. Pride says, I know what God says, but I'm going to do it my way anyway. Pride is a stumbling block, Bob Jones Sr. said, which many a person will stumble. All of us struggle in the area of pride. So we see his pride, but not only do we see uh, Saul's pride, and we see this process of erosion in Saul's life, the erosion of sin, his relationship with God, not only do we see his pride, but in chapter 17, we see Saul's fear. Look at chapter 17 and verse 11. The Bible says, when Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine." They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now remember, Saul was the biggest, tallest, baddest dude in all the area. He was the king. He should have been the one out there fighting the Philistine. He was tallest. He was best. He had been heroic. It wasn't like he was a wimp. He had done heroic deeds in the past. He should have been out there leading his people, but instead he's whimpering in the tent saying, well, what should we do? 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 And outside the tent, there's a young man by the name of David who spent his time underneath the stars saying, wow, what a big God I serve. You see, to David, God was big. But to Saul, God was small. Saul saw this ruddy, young, teenage man and said, let him do it. But David saw this man, young man, uh, this, this, this Philistine blaspheming him as God, and he's saying, is there not a cause? David said, is there not a cause? Saul should have been one taking up the banner. He didn't. He didn't. You know what? The Bible says righteousness will make us bold as a lion. Righteousness will make us bold. But <clears throat> well, what happens when we when we have sin in our life and we're disobedient? It makes us fearful as a church mouse. It does. <laughs> hey, sin in your life, when you're caught up in sin, you're fighting sin, you're mending your nets because of sin, you're not likely to go out and pass out a track. You're not likely to go out there and tell somebody in San Carlos or Naples Park or Bonita Spring about Jesus Christ. Because you're caught up, you're so focused on yourself. Sin makes us selfish. It makes us selfish. It makes us caught up on ourselves and and self-absorbed in my plans and my goals and my dreams. And and what I want to do, obedience gets our eyes off ourselves and on the Savior and on serving others. And there's joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus. Man, selfishness and sin destroys our life. Oh, he was so caught up in this fear when he could have been obedient doing God's will for his life. We see not only his fear, we see his jealousy. Of course, David defeats the giant. And instead of saying, hey, David, great job, wonderful job, thank you for destroying this giant, thank you for doing it. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, 7, and the women answered one another, and they played and said, Saul had slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. What happens? How does, how does Saul respond to that? Verse 8, and Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have but for the kingdom?" Oh, we see this jealousy, this envy, and who can stand against envy? No. The Bible says in verse 9: And Saul eyed David from that day on. Wow. Instead of encouraging this young man, instead of helping this young man, instead of using this man, the young man, and his talents and his abilities that he clearly had, he was envious and angry. And we see Saul's anger. Displayed in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 11, look what it says there. 1 Samuel chapter 19 11, it says, Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. Wow. Of course, David will become his son-in-law. <laughs> Can you imagine this? this? is your father-in-law and he's wanting to slay you? He's wanting to take your life? Kind of make it tense during Thanksgiving turkey, huh? know what and for the next 15 years Saul pursues David he pursues him he wants to kill him and there's opportunity that David has to actually take Saul's life and he doesn't do it because David believes in the sovereignty of God that Saul was God's anointed and he didn't lay his hand on Though he had opportunity, and he was even encouraged by his generals to destroy Saul. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. And there's times, even in the midst of all this, that Saul seems to be sorry. He seems to at times come to his senses. But he never truly repents and comes back to God. Continues down this path, his relationship with God continues. Continues to erode, even to the point as we look at chapter twenty-eight. Chapter twenty-eight that he seeks the advice of a witch. He seeks the advice of a witch. Now witches and warlocks—they were to be destroyed. They were to be. They were to be captured and destroyed, wiped out, taken out of the land. The Bible says in chapter twenty-eight, verse eight, and Saul disguised himself. Because he knew he wasn't right. He knew he was doing was wrong. He tried to deceive. He disguised himself and put on another raiment. And he went and two men with him, and they came to a woman by night and he said, I pray thee divine unto me by the familiar spirit and bring him up, talking about Samuel. Bring him up, whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, behold. <laughs> behold thou knowest that Saul hath done how he hath cut off those who have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land? Wherefore, when thou then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? The witch is more righteous than Saul. She knows the truth. She knows that you know Saul is, he He wants to destroy all of us. You're not trying to make some type of snare here to destroy me. This is not some type of trick. Remember? But Saul's, he's deceiving this woman. He says, uh, Thou knowest what's what's going to happen here. Verse 10. And Saul uh, uh, swear to her by the Lord, saying, He swear to this woman, this witch, as the Lord liveth, there shall be no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up, Samuel. Verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art saw wow the woman saw the truth of it she knew that what he was doing was wrong he deceived himself he deceived himself even to believe that what he could do and going after this 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 witch's woman's advice was right of course we know the truth of the the whole situation she did she did bring up Samuel Samuel said to him that tomorrow you and your sons are going to die of course, as we read in First Samuel chapter thirty-one, they did die. Samuel, Saul died, and his three sons—they all died on the battlefield. And as you look over, go over to, to a Second Samuel, read that actually he died at the hand of a, a Malachite, the very people that Saul was supposed to annihilate. The Malachite took his life. Pride, fear, jealousy, anger bitterness, seeking the advice from from evil, all going from a point where he just didn't wait on God, now he's way over here seeking the advice of someone who has dedicated their life to evil. How far far he had fallen. You see folks, you and I can choose to disobey God, but we cannot choose the consequences. The consequences for his disobedience were bigger Longer lasting, more impactful than he could possibly fathom. And sometimes we say to ourselves, well, I can do that and I can ask forgiveness, and I can do that and I can ask forgiveness, and I can do that and ask forgiveness. Sin always has consequences, it erodes our relationship with God. Sin in a person's life does exactly what the elements do to the surface of the earth. Sin will erode our relationship with God. See, Satan doesn't care how long it takes. He doesn't care how long it takes. He's been around for a little while. He just wants to destroy us. He wants to divide us. Destroy us. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me. Let me give you seven steps to how sin will erode our life. Seven steps. And I hope you write these down. So you get the, listen to the tape or CD of this and get this. Number one, the entrance of the thought. The Bible tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What we think about is who we are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's why it's so important to get the word of God in our minds, our heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I have to have the word in my heart. Because what happens when the sin comes in our in our minds, as it does and will come in our minds, we must replace it. We must replace it. What better is to place it than the Word of God? But often, this this thought comes in our mind. Maybe like Saul, or like who said, maybe, "Well, you know, Samuel's—he's not going to come." And uh, what's the difference? You know, I can do this. It's no big deal. I am the king, by the way. Why am I waiting for him? He probably forgot about it. Oh, no big deal. Hmm? But you know what? Our submission to authority is dependent is dependent upon recognizing that God is sovereign in every situation. Didn't Samuel say wait? Yeah, he said wait. Did you wait? No, I didn't. I didn't. The entrance of a thought, but not only, sometimes past that, initial state of the entrance of a thought. There's the, the entertaining of the thought. <clears throat> the first step, step is, is, is really that's where we find the victory. We find the victory by when the thought comes in, replacing it, and not doing, not continue down the road of that thought. But secondly, is the entertainment of a thought. We keep thinking about it. We keep thinking about it. We don't reject it. We don't replace it. We just keep thinking about it and thinking about it. We entertain it. Thirdly, we begin to examine the thought. You know, that's not so bad. Like a lawyer would begin to build the case for the thought. Just you know, I'd wait a little while. Nah. Uh, you know what? I deserve this. I wonder what it'd be like. It'll be okay. Just one time. Who will ever know? Who cares? Everybody does it. No big deal. We start thinking those thoughts, don't we? So we have the entrance of the thought, the entertainment of the thought, the examination of the thought, and begin then to enjoy the thought. We begin to cuddle it. Dwell on it. We begin. We begin it doesn't bother us anymore. We're comfortable with it. It's not a bad idea. We enjoy it. We begin to manipulate. We begin to put into action a plan to make it actually happen. We enjoy it. And then fifth, we experience it. We experience it. We do what we thought. We do the thing we thought, even though we knew it was wrong. When we believe the lie, the lie of the devil himself, who often says, well, you thought about it, but so you might as well go ahead and do it. You taught it. She so might as well do it. But well, folks, if we if I did everything I thought, I'd be in a world of hurt. And so would you. Man. This is sandpaper against soft world, soft wood. This was this is that well, nobody knows. And everybody's doing the same thing. And I can't control it. it. It begins to consume your whole life. You experience it. And then what happens next? You begin to excuse the attitude begin to excuse it Ah, that's no big deal nobody's perfect who are you to judge me I've heard that who are you to judge me isn't it okay sometimes folks even start quoting scripture it's out of context usually (laughs) judge not that thou be not judged heard that one before (laughs) hey it's clear it's simple We've gotten ourselves to the point where we believe the lie. And that is the goal of the devil himself, is to get you and I to believe the lie. And what do we do? Finally, we're enveloped by it. It becomes our very lifestyle. It becomes our very lifestyle. The entrance of the thought, the entertainment of the thought, the examination, the enjoyment, the experience, the excuse, the envelopment. And I've seen this in the lives of other believers, and I've seen it even try to get it to my life. Where you have this thought, you think, well, I, I can do this. But it leads you down a path that you never thought you would go down to. I've known young folks that I thought would be missionaries. And you're not very long later after that, they don't even believe in God himself. What happens? They went down a wrong thought process. They began to choose what they knew was wrong instead of choosing what they knew in their heart of hearts, so what the Bible says is truth. They made a bad decision. And, folks, there's not a person in this room that cannot go down the same path. Not a person. Oh, man, we need to humble ourselves. And, Lord, God forbid, by the grace of God, there go I. Sin is so subtle. Sin is like erosion. It's slow. We're not going to go outside and say, I'm going to go look at some erosion tonight. But it's happening even as we are here. Erosion is happening. Two months ago, I went down to the hospital to make a hospital visit. Someone said they need a hospital visit. I just went. Got into the room. I saw a man that used to sit right there. He used to sit right there. He bent over. Looked hungry for the word of God. I would sit there. He would sit there. And I'd watch that guy. He was like a sponge. He wanted the word. He was thirsty for the word. Over 10 years ago. Watching the room and there he was. There he was. Laying in the bed. And I said, what happened? Were you okay? You sick? And he began to tell me his story. I've had one decision the first decision to quit coming to church. The second decision to quit reading his Bible. The third decision to make compromises in his life, at his job, with his wife. And now, ten years later, he was in a hospital bed because he tried to take his life by overdosing on alcohol. What happened? A series of bad choices. Erosion erosion. I said, you can change. I said, you know what's right, and here's the word of God. He said, yes, I, n- I need to get back to church. I said, yes. I said, hey, he said, I need to kick the dust, take the dust off the off my Bible. I said, yes. He said, yes. I said, you need to be there next Sunday. He said, yes. But you know what? It's been two months, and you've got to show yet. I'm praying you will. Sin is a choice. How does this happen when you and I refuse to believe what God says? We simply don't believe the Bible. We simply don't believe what he says. It all begins with a lack of faith. Folks, be sure the Bible says your sin will find you out. What do we do? We stop and confess it. It is so vitally important that we have short sin accounts. Short syndicates of God. Ask ask yourself tonight, am I right with God? As far as you know, sitting in your chair right now, are you right with God? As far as you know, are you right with your spouse? As far as you know, are you right with your employer? As far as you know, are you right with your children? Are you right with God and are you right with other people? That's vital. It's vital. Confess. Be honest. Don't blame yourself. Don't get into this victim mentality. Repent. Change. Go a different way. Confess your sin. If you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful promise. And then change. Oh, you can't change the past, but you can change the future by making a decision tonight to go a different way. I ask you tonight, Is there something in your life, a sin, a cherished sin that consumes you? A habit, an action that's slowly destroying your life? Something maybe nobody knows about but you. It's eroding your relationship with God. Winston Churchill once said, great leader, great historian, he said, men occasionally stumble over truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing ever happened. Tonight, I've illustrated to you the erosion that can happen to each one of us, the erosion of our relationship to God if we choose sin over Him, that we choose to do right tonight. Father, I pray, God, that you bless tonight in this service. The devil, our enemy, desires to divide us from him, our flesh, the world, desires to destroy us, to bring us to the poor place in our life where we're like Saul, defeated and destroyed and no longer able to be used in your harvest field. Oh, God, I don't want to be like this. Oh, God, I don't want to end up like Saul. I, don't, I want to end well. I want to choose you. You know my heart. You know my desire. You know my thoughts. Oh God, I pray, God, that you would help each one of us take serious sin. Sometimes we play with it, sometimes we we cuddle it, sometimes we, we joke about it, we laugh about it, it becomes doesn't like it doesn't matter anymore, but sin destroys lives. Your dear son went to the cross to save us from our sin. Oh, God, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us not to deceive ourselves. Help us not to live in denial. Help us not tonight to look at the person behind us or in front of us or beside us. But, Lord, help us to search our own hearts and ask, Is there any wicked way in me, oh, Lord? Change us, Father. May we be more like you. I pray in Jesus' name.